0: hello 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 welcome to the healthy perspectives podcast thanks for joining us for today's journey and i hope you enjoy hello hello welcome back thank you for joining us again i am going to get after this january 6th stuff we are heading uh we have not seen the um, the final results of this yet, but there is the hearing going on, and I want to talk a little bit about it because some things have come to my mind uh, that are that definitely clinically driven, um, and I'm going to start with a little little a little sidebar here to to help us get going. I have done. Uh, probably thousands, and that's probably not an exaggeration, thousands, plural, many of them, of hours of family therapy. And one of the things that I'd like to paint for you is, is that, that family therapy dynamic. So when a person comes into the room, they bring their own stuff, but they also bring the stuff of their family. When we're doing family therapy, they are bringing their own stuff into the room. Their family is bringing their own stuff into the room, and the dynamics get extremely complicated. So, for instance, in every relationship, there's not just two, there's not just you and me, there's you, me, and us. Now, that's an important concept because, as we're going to hear in a minute, <clears throat> As we look at this January 6th hearing, I want to point at some pretty glaring flaws to the process. I'm not saying that the outcome should be one way or the other on this particular topic. Uh, what happened on January 6th at the Capitol, there were some things there that should not have happened. I am I am not a person who advocates for violence. I do find it totally okay to protest. I think people can do that. I think that that's part of our American way. Uh, you look back in our history, protesting, fine. Violence is where we draw the line. Do not get violent. So with that in mind, I bring a, a kid in, let's say. If I bring a child in and I am asking them some questions about their family and they tell me, oh, my mom this and my dad this and my brother this and my sister this and blah, blah, and, and they go on and on. It is absolutely foolish and naive for me as a counselor to assume that I understand the family dynamics. I have one point of view. That would be the kid's point of view. So then what do I do? I then talk to mom or dad. I pull one of them in and I'm like, okay, tell me about how things work in the family. And they go, da, 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 and get, get to the end of them telling their version of it. And now I've got two data points. But what if the kid and the mom align I still am missing a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. So I call in the dad, or the sister, or the brother, or whoever else is living in the home or part of the dynamic, and I ask some questions. I ask questions about the same kinds of topics that I have just heard. And what I'm starting to learn is the dynamics. Who aligns with who, what the topics of choice are, what happens in the home, a typical day, And I start to piece together a puzzle. I think of it like this. If I got a puzzle and I took the box and threw it away and I put it out on the table so nobody knows what the picture of the puzzle is, will somebody come along and be able to put together? Yes. It just takes a lot longer to do it. We cannot assume because I've got an edge together that I've got a good idea of what the picture is. Lots of times pictures morph and change as they grow and we can't assume anything. So what I heard in the hearing so far is this, the first episode, and I call it an episode on purpose because that's what a lot of the media is doing and it's definitely being presented as a show. It is, it is not a court hearing. It is, it is not a typical uh, congressional hearing of any kind. It's, it's really a show. The, sh- the first one is proving that there was what they're claiming is an insurrection. Now, I'm not going to get into the terminology of it. There was definitely some bad things that happened that day and that shouldn't have happened. Uh, That is clear. We we should not be going in and damaging the building. We should not be violently attacking other people. I mean, there's a lot of things that occurred that day that shouldn't happen. So they painted the picture. The bad stuff that happened on January 6th was real. Okay, good. I, I kind of knew that already. But moving along, the second day, they wanted to show that Trump lost. And that is when he began the big lie and he began to ignore different pieces of advice. In other words, they're trying to show that he was sane and rational, but that he was choosing to undermine. Okay. I mean, I get the slant, but that is not an effective way of of creating a narrative that allows people to participate in discussion. It's really one-sided. You either agree with it or you disagree with it. If I had a family tell me that it all turned at this one point and I didn't check with all the other participants in the family, I would be naive and foolish. I can't do that. As a therapist, I have to then go, okay, I need to understand those other variables also. What would their take be on this same situation? Because we Remember, we always want confirmation bias. We want to confirm what we think we already know. And sometimes what we think we already know is fact. And sometimes it's not fact. But we're always trying to confirm what we already think we know. So when they get to the second hearing um, where Trump lost and began to tell the lie, uh, do I think that Trump told all the truths? Uh, you know, I'm probably no, probably not. No, I think, it's, I think it's hard to find any politician who has told all truths. Uh, I, I think we also misperceive sometimes what is considered to be a lie with what is considered to be a truth. And by that, what I'm saying is people get new information and they would make different decisions if they had new information. We're constantly taking in new information and therefore – I reserve the right, for me, at least as a therapist, I reserve the right to change my mind about what I would recommend for you if you give me more information. If you give me less information, my recommendations are probably going to be mediocre at best because you're not giving me much information, which is kind of how I'm viewing this hearing so far. Uh, They're not giving us all of the information. They're giving us all of one side of the information, but there's a whole nother side that I'd like to hear from. And we're, I don't think that we're going to, it doesn't, based on what they're saying, at least it doesn't sound like they're going to get to the other perspective. They are trying to draw in people who are on the other side, in quotes, on the other side, and who feel the same way that they do. That's confirmation bias. That's not getting the perspective of the other side. That's finding the people on the other side who see it similar that we do and going with our own narrative that's not the same thing and i wouldn't i wouldn't expect that from a family either that would be like that example that i painted that would be like that that mother and that child who align together on an issue and therefore assume that the whole family should see it the same way not necessarily we bring in another party and all of a sudden we might be going wait a second uh, my former recommendation has to shift this is new information for me so we're missing a bunch of information. And clearly that's that's the point of the hearing is they're trying to paint a picture, not necessarily the picture. That's not to say that there weren't a lot of things that went wrong and there weren't some lies in there. Uh, I, I believe there probably were. And there was a lot of bad stuff that happened that day. But from a therapeutic standpoint, gosh, we have got to be looking at this hearing and going, well, okay, now I want to hear the other side of the story. And if we're not doing that, you probably need to check your confirmation bias. Because for me, I listen to uh, left side and right side material a lot because I want to understand both sides, not because I'm political, but because it tells me something about our culture. Our culture is made up of, remember, a part of it is political stuff. Politics is part of the culture. So is media. So, you know, watching some media, some different media outlets on given topics. Or, you know, why would you only know one religion your whole entire life? I am a Christian man and I have studied other religions. I know there are people out there who think that that, you probably think that I'm blasphemous right now. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you read something about another religion. But, I've read stuff about many religions because I want to be informed with multiple perspectives. right? Multiple perspectives allows me to be well-informed, and then when I decide what I believe, then I know that it is at least covering many viewpoints. It is not just one viewpoint. Well, that's what I was taught, or that's what I was told. So doing some research is important. So the, the third hearing um, looks like it was really about framing Donald Trump as a thief. You know, it's saying he stole $250 million. He's a fraud. And you know, this I think this is where um, it really gets into. I mean, it's doing this all along, but it's really trying. I really believe that there's this underlying current from a clinical perspective where it's, it's shaming anybody who uh, uh, aligns with anything that Donald Trump thinks or his, you know, his take on, you know, what happened on January 6th. Now, I think shaming people is a terrible method to go down. Like, you should not go down that path. Uh, I don't think that that's very effective. But on on the he's a thief, I really think that they're shaming everybody. They at one point... um, said, there was this quote, and, and I jotted it down because it was so pertinent. They deserve to know where the money is going. I completely agree. So let's open up the the books and take a look at where all of the money is going everywhere. Look, let's take a look at where it's going right now. Where is our money going? Let's take a look at what BLM has done with their money. We're still, uh, to my knowledge, waiting on that. And it was supposed to be they had delayed and delayed and delayed. Like I agree when we donate money. But here's the problem. I don't think that responsibility could actually be on the, the people who are running it. I don't think it is. I think it's on us before we hand over the money to figure it out. The only exception to that is our taxes because they don't let us not pay taxes. So if we pay taxes, we need to know after the fact, preferably before the fact. But that means we have to be really super involved in where the money is going in the the, the lead up to the spending. And most of us can't or won't be part of that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind doors that are locked and relatively secure. Um, the fourth hearing uh, you know they they talked about Mike Pence being thrown under the bus, and here's where it it it's from my vantage point where it looks like it's going. The whole thing is designed to paint Donald Trump and Donald Trump's supporters as dangerous for our country. Uh, I I have a hard time with that because. Not because I agree with Donald Trump. I, I've said many, many times to anybody who knows me, I do not like his approach to the way he, he talks about things. I wish he would, he would bite his tongue sometimes. And I do philosophically agree with some of the things that he says. He says. You know, for instance, economically, he understands really well, much better than many people in Washington, D.C., about how to make money uh, work for our people better. He knows it, he knows how to do that. Now, he does it oftentimes for selfish gain. I agree with that. Um, But I don't think in his political, his very short lived political life that he necessarily did that i mean he he definitely has plenty of his own money and he seemed to better our economy in a pretty big way so when i look at it and i go you know is trump and trump supporters dangerous for our country i don't i don't have a clear answer to that for everybody out there but what i can say is from a family therapy model that would be pitting mom against dad. And I know that that's dangerous. I know, you know, if if kids start to pit mom against dad, you either end up with a couple, there's a few outcomes that are pretty bad. One, the mom and dad team up and they unite against the children. Well, in this scenario, the children are, well, all the everyday citizens because mom and dad would be Washington, D.C. Um, And if... It's not that way. Then what you end up with is the great divorce. You end up with mom and dad separating, and then they're manipulated constantly, and you end up with this broken culture. That's not a good scenario either. So, what do we do from here? Look, I I don't know. Uh, I, I you know I'm not a political leader. What I am is a psychology guy, I study social science and psychological um, stuff because I like to know how people work. I like to know how come variables carry so much weight in certain situations and so little in other situations, and so it goes. What I think is something we probably should be looking at is protests. I think we should be looking at protests because, to me, this hearing is a version of a protest, but not a good one. What we when we look at uh, Black Lives Matter, it's a protest, but not a good one. When we look at uh, you know the Antifa, when we look at um, we have so many examples of good, healthy protests that have worked. Why are we not looking at how we protest? when something is not going the way that we, the people, might want it to go. Because there's a lot of stuff going on right now that I think you you, you could pull in Democrats and Republicans and independents and constitutionalists, and, and you could pull them all in and say, what do you think about this? Oh, I think it's broken. Oh, I think it's broken. No, I think it's broken. Wait a minute. I think it's broken too. And we could get an agreement that something is broken. How do we protest in a way that's good and healthy? And so I did a little bit of research and I got to tell you, it's a little bit all over the board. Um, One thing that seems to be pretty common is that it shouldn't be violent, that laws should be obeyed. And yet that seems to be the one thing that the media picks up on. Anytime the law is not obeyed and that's a problem. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't acknowledge when laws have been broken. I think maybe we should, but we should do it during do do after due process, right? Through the legal system because those are public records. And then we do that way. That way, it's it's real information. It's not oh we suspect that this is going to be right now. We we don't have a, a clear definition of insurrection yet because it hasn't fully gone through the legal system yet there are people who have been prosecuted and people waiting to be prosecuted and there's there's just a lot of information that still has not gone through the legal system but we do we should be able to agree that laws should be followed well the, starting with the big ones right we should not be blocking people's way to and from places or if we do we should have a permit to do so because we can get those right we can get those at the local level we could we could get a a, a permit to do a safe protest a nonviolent protest on a bridge or on a uh, on a, a street corner or or whatever we can get those permits we should apply for those permits and do it Now, what if it happens too fast? What if it needs to happen fast? Well, okay, so, you know, uh, that's a good question. If you're on public property, are you allowed to protest? The answer legally is yes, you can protest. But what that entails, it's got to be nonviolent. It's got to be nonviolent. So when it becomes violent, it becomes a problem. It's not a good protest. It should have dialogue, Well, I'm looking at most of the protests I've seen in the last few years and I'm going, yeah, that's crap. There's, there isn't dialogue. It's not about a conversation. It's not about creating unity and, and growing together. It's about, I'm on this side, you're on that side and you are evil and bad because you're on that side. I may not be evil and bad. I might just disagree. I mean, sometimes that happens, right? So, you know, if we protest, we should be interested and curious about what is the other side all about? For me, if I went to a protest, I would actually be walking from side to side asking questions. I'd be like, well, why do you think that? And I would want to hear, I genuinely would want to hear what they have to say. I know I'm an outlier in that, right? I'm not going into aligning myself with one side and saying the other side is evil and bad. But really, we should look at protests because they're not creating dialogue. The goals are unclear. The goals are super unclear. And with unclear goals, you don't really have a good protest. And are they catchy? Yeah. They're catchy for who? For media. They're not catchy for the general population. The general population, I don't think, cares when you chant. I think the general population wants to hear the dialogue. So when we come back to that family model, getting a family to talk things through, that's hard work. That's the most important work, but it's hard work. And in a, the same would be true in a protest. If we want to protest something, go out there and say, hey, I believe this Great. Have some clear goals and be open for a dialogue. That doesn't mean when you disagree with me, I'm gonna get loud and mean. That's not a good response. That's an unhealthy psychological response. A healthy psychological response would be, okay, I'm gonna hear you out. I'm having a hard time with that. I need a second. I want to, I wanna gather my thoughts. Okay, go on. Carry on. Let's let's keep going right but instead we're trying to create all these catchy things that the media picks up on they're auditorily catchy their the videography is catchy and what's catchy when people act stupid frankly that's catchy i mean who doesn't want to go on to youtube or 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 one of those video platforms right i mean go to any of them what they're really truly looking for what are we looking for oh i know we're looking for uh something that's stupid. We want to see it on YouTube. We want to see it on Instagram or Facebook or we we want to see it on Rumble. We want to see it on any of these platforms. We want to see stupid because stupid is fun to watch. You now that's drama. You know, I know it's entertainment, but not when you're in the moment. When you're in the moment, it can get dangerous really quick. So being catchy and stupid That's not really a great idea. Although in the short term, it's going to get you a lot more views. And that's what media is really about, I think. Um, A good protest is going to create inclusion, work groups, diversity, stuff like that. It's going to be bringing different sides to the table on purpose. Now, what I would love to see is... At one of these protests, you know, having a, a, a psychology guy, somebody like myself or, uh, you know, I, I don't know, somebody who's who's got the, the talent and the skills and the time and the money and all of that stuff to go in. And gather up two people from the different views. Yeah, you know, like two people from this view, two people from this view, and, and bring them together. And we're going to sit down. We're going to have a four-person conversation. It's going to be a group. It's a therapy group. But it's not designed for therapy. It's designed for growth, which is really therapy group. And you sit down and talk about the issue, but do it with very strategic Outlines. For instance, you probably heard me on other podcasts. I talk about, um, you know, when when we sit down with a group of people for the purpose of rumbling, which is really having those hard conversations. There has to be set expectations around communication, mechanisms for safety and timeouts, encouraging risk taking so that we can truly learn what's in behind the point of view, and then safe facilitation. A facilitator that is safe. That doesn't mean they agree or disagree with either side. Because truly a facilitator, I mean, I can't take my own bias out. What I can do is facilitate in spite of my bias. I can do that. And I can do that well because I've done that thousands of times. And that's not an exaggeration. I've run thousands of groups. And as a safe facilitator, my role is to not get involved in the victim-persecutor-rescuer game. I'm not going to do that. That's what would be I would love 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 to see that happen at these protests You know, you go go in create a safe space a room of its own and you grab two or three from each side and you go in And you really have these conversations and you record them The media I don't know what they would do with that but hey if, you, if anybody's out there and they want to put this together, let me know. I will come and help. That being said, I don't know that too many people are actually interested in that. They would rather be part of the show. And unfortunately, that's, that's saying something about our culture. If a family were doing that, they were blowing up at each other just because of the show and it got ratings, then I would probably be telling that family, hey, look, here's my recommendation. Stop this pattern. This is an unhealthy pattern. This is going to lead to either uh, allies and, and divorce, or it's going to lead to allies and suppression and 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 more victimization of you know, the people who don't have the perceived power. In other words, the parents teaming up against the children. Now, parents have to model and teach the children how to disagree. So, That's really what our politicians should be doing, I would think, if they're the metaphorical parent in this scenario. Okay, quick review. The January 6th hearings right now, to me, are a show. It is not a reality. It is pieces of reality, but painted from a certain perspective. It's like putting on a set of glasses um, to see the world in a totally different color. All right. So we need to see the other colors that are options too, so that we can make true sense of what's actually uh, behind January 6th. With that in mind, I moved into the, the idea of a protest. Um, I think we really, as our country, should take a close look at what it means to protest so that we can do that in a healthy way. Because I do believe, strongly believe, therapeutically, that disagreement is critical to growth. It is critical. It is absolutely essential for us to disagree and learn how to grow from each other. And we cannot do that if we just tell each other, shut up, I don't want to hear you. We can't do that. And so I think there would be a lot of value in creating a a model for protests that is good and healthy, as opposed to these various models out there that are are going, because they are dysfunctional. With that, I'm going to sign off. Let me know what you think. Leave me feedback. Follow me. All that kind of good stuff. Thank you so much.